following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. I'm uh, thankful for the Lord's blessing. Uh, our entire sound system was torn apart and put back together again this morning. And after service, we'll tear it apart and put it back together again next week. And I'm so grateful for the many hands and gifts that God has given um, to make it so I don't have to shout and uh, we don't have to sing really loud and they play really hard up here, so I'm grateful for that. Um, well, we're returning to s- 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 2 Timothy, chapter 1 this morning, page 995 in the Pew Bible. And we have a lot to talk about this morning, so we'll jump right into the text and then we pray. So, Second Timothy, chapter 1, verse 8 through 14. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do." But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful for your love. We pray, Lord, you speak to us through your word this morning. We give you this time so that we would learn to be more like you, that our faith would be uh, strengthened, uh, our walk with you would be closer. And we would glorify you with our lives. We'll love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again, and I'll say it again, and I will say it again. That God's word is God's words. These are the words of God, written not just for its original recipients, but also for the church throughout the ages. 
um, this a good point uh, for you to say amen. <laughs> okay, you have permission. Uh, and I say this because why, where would we be without God's word? What would we know just based on our own experience? Oh dear, we all in trouble. Yeah. This truth that these are God's word, this appears to me um, to be particularly true of Paul's second letter to Timothy. That it was not just written to Timothy, but it's written to the church. There's in, and uh, honestly, to think of it selfishly, it's written to me, and it's written to you. I know over the last few weeks I've talked about how I personally identify with Timothy as he is described in this letter, even as it comes to um, to the faith of my own mother and grandmother and the um, piece of trivia, I've mentioned it before, I'm sure, but the lady who first led me to the Lord, her name was Eunice, uh, just like Timothy's mother. So I, I've always liked this, uh, this book more than any others. Timothy had been invested by, invested in by Paul and others for ministry, just as uh, there have been many who have invested their lives in me. Timothy had been entrusted with the ministry of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. At that time, and in a small way, I feel as though I also have that particular calling to the metropolis of Ossipee. <laughs> well, center Ossipee is what I can handle. I don't know about the whole thing. Yeah. But the thing that makes me personally identify most with Timothy is a trait that most Christians, if they're honest, will admit to as well, and it's not really a good thing. It's timidity, especially when it comes to telling people about Jesus. Sometimes we're just scared. Paul reminded Timothy, as we talked about last week in verse 7 of this chapter, that we Christians are not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And that's great. And yet, we're still afraid sometimes to share the gospel. So I have to ask you, what is it that we're afraid of? What is it? That Timothy was afraid of. And how do we overcome that fear? The fear of sharing good news about Jesus. Now, I will tell you, yesterday we had a memorial service here for a young lady who struggled with anxiety and depression and ended her own life at 26 years old. And I know that uh, this is not in the notes, so this is a freebie for you. Um, you might want your money back. But we don't talk about mental health very often in the church. And that's mostly because we don't know what to think of it. 
And some people have come down hard this way. It's only a spiritual issue. And so you must confess your sin and get over it. And some people say, well, it's just a, it's a mind over matter thing. So just stop thinking that way. You'll be fine. Suck it up. And I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I struggle with it myself. And we can't just say, get over it. That doesn't work. And I think the truth is, when it comes to the fear of sharing the gospel, it's the same thing. We'll just get over it. And just roll over everybody with the gospel. Tell them they're sinners. They want to hear it. They need to hear it. No, not really. But I don't have a great solution to the problem either. What we do have is God's word. So we can look here and see what Paul thought, at least, about this fear. Paul writes in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. What's Timothy afraid of? Suffering. He's afraid of suffering for the gospel. If I say something to somebody about Jesus, what's going to happen? There's a million different things that could happen. They could reject me. They could make fun of me. I could lose my job. I could get in all kinds of trouble. Suffering for the gospel is what Timothy was afraid of, and that's what made him timid. The Greek word is cowardly. Paul, his mentor, who's writing him this letter from a hole in the ground, <laughs> a former cistern, right? It was a place where they store water. It's dark and dank and wet and gross, I'm sure. And here he is writing a letter to his friend from this hole in the ground, awaiting his execution. Others of the apostles were stabbed to death. They were beheaded. They were sawed in half. They were crucified. Some were crucified upside down. They had rocks thrown at them until they were dead for talking about Jesus. Doesn't sound like there's anything really to be afraid of, is there? Suffering for the gospel, no big deal. I think in order to overcome our own, and I don't say that to shame you, like they got sawed in half, what the heck is your problem? I, I, I'm going to say that this morning. If the Holy Spirit says that to you, he has permission, but I'm not saying that. I think in order, in order to overcome our own fear, our own timidity of sharing the gospel, we have to know the answer to the question. Why would anyone be upset at us or Paul or Timothy for telling them about Jesus. I think that it's not the good news that people have a problem with. It's the bad news that makes the good news necessary. That's the part we don't like. And again, I'm at this service yesterday of a young lady I don't know that knows the Lord but certainly didn't have hope. 
not a good time to tell bad news. The truth is that it's not the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that people struggle with. That's Most people would agree to the facts about that. Why do we celebrate Christmas? Anybody can tell you that. Because Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, most people, I guess. I wouldn't go to public school and ask the kids there. You get fun answers, I'm sure. But most people could tell you Christmas about the birth of Jesus. It's not the life and death and resurrection that people struggle with. It's the necessity of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that people find insulting. Why is that? Because Jesus had to come and die for our sin. And we don't want to think that we're sinful. People don't like that. Ray Steadman said that the gospel is insulting to the pride of men. Now, insulting a person's pride will motivate them to all sorts of horrors. The gospel says that people are broken. Because of their sin, they are no longer acceptable to God, and nobody likes to hear that. We have been eternally separated from him because of what is wrong with us. But God stepped in because of his great love for us and gave Jesus to pay the penalty for our sinfulness for us. We can't do that for ourselves. Now the pride of man says, I don't need that. I don't need anybody to do anything for me. I can't take care of it myself. I'm fine. I don't have a problem. People don't want the gospel because it says that we are bad and there's nothing we can do about it. That's what people find insulting. We cannot forget as Christians that mankind, men and women of every nation and color and race and stripe and creed, whatever, we are all bad. We are not basically good. If man, mankind is basically good, Jesus died for nothing. I'd be a whole lot more concerned about insulting the Lord than insulting my friend and neighbors. We are bad and there's nothing we could do about it. We must trust in a Jesus work on a cross in order to be made acceptable to God. That is the good news, that Jesus paid it all. That's what the word gospel means. It just means a good news. And you can't have good news without bad news. Sometimes it's tough to lead off with the bad news, but that's sometimes what it takes. And it is sharing the good news, sharing this good news, that is the work that God gave to Paul, that God gave to Timothy, and that God gives to every single believer in Jesus Christ. It is the work that we all share. The gospel is not just for professionals to proclaim. None of us are professionals. But we are workers, and this is the task we've been given. And though we may be like Timothy, afraid of the risk, afraid of the pushback, we still have resources and rewards that far outweigh anything that any person could do to us. 
Paul wrote in verse 8, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I think that if we had even just a little sliver of a clue of what it means for God to live in us through the Holy Spirit and walk with us every day, this I don't think this fear thing would really be that big a deal. Share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God. The power of God. Here is how God demonstrates that power. Just in one way. He saved us. And he called us to a holy calling. I know that sometimes it's easy to think that when a person uh, agrees with the facts about Jesus, that that's all it is. It's just an intellectual agreement. Yes, Jesus came and died on the cross and raised from the dead three days later. And that's why we have Easter and, and Christmas. And Yeah, I'm on board. It's cool. I'll go to church to read the Bible, sure. Every time a person comes to faith in Christ, it is a miracle. An absolute miracle. Every time a person is born again, it is by the power of God. Not just because we agree with the facts. I used to think I had a boring testimony. You know, when I was a kid at camp and people start sharing around a campfire, which is why we don't generally have campfires at Camp Mac that, that we run because people start to get a little more emotional than is necessary and start inflating their story a little bit, you know. Like I, I used to, you know, murder people and there was the time that, you know, I sank the Titanic and, but Jesus found me and saved me and now I'm, you know, I'm terrific. And I used to think, well, geez, you know, I, I just, uh, my parents are Christians and my grandparents are Christians and they brought me to church and came to faith in Christ and go to camp and it's great. But that's kind of dull. <laughs> Do you know the truth, friends? You were dead. And now you are alive. That is not boring. That is a miracle. (laughs) Every time a person comes to faith in Christ, they were dead and have been brought to life by the power of God. And every time a person becomes a Christian, every time a person is born again and experiences that miracle, whether they feel all tingly and start floating and walking on water or not, the reality is they are made new, a new creature, and are given a holy calling by God. Now, we often get that confused, that only professionals are called. I have a calling, and the rest of you guys get to hear about it. Well, that's not it at all. You have been given a calling just as I have, and that's only because we are born again, not because we're ordained or not ordained or licensed or commissioned or blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. We have all been given a holy calling by God, which is to tell others what happened to us. We were dead, and now we live. And why do we have that calling? so that other people can experience the miracle of rebirth as well. So that other people might 
have the opportunity to experience the same miracle that we did. Once we were lost, and now we are found. We were dead, and now we are alive. That is the good news that we have to share. And we have all been given the task of sharing it. Now, that none of that would be a miracle if it was based on our own merit. If we just took care of it ourselves... And I was, I used to be a jerk, and now I'm less of a jerk. Well, that's not true of me, so that can't work. <laughs> it's only a miracle, being born again is only a miracle if it depends on God and His grace. Verse 9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We are not saved, nor are we called on the basis of our own works, our own intelligence, our own talent or ability, our own coolness. We are saved and called on the basis of the grace of God. By God's grace, reservations were made for us in His eternal kingdom before time began. Before the clock ticked the, for the first time, God had set a place for you at His table. That's a miracle. And I'd love to tell you that it's because you're terrific. But you're not. I know you. Neither am I. That's not how it works. He alone was able to establish the means of our salvation in his own power, which has been manifested, which means just to be made visible, as verse 10 says, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through the blood of Christ on a cross and the glory of his resurrection, God nullified the power of death for the Christian. Death has not been removed completely because Christians still die. You know that. But for believers in Jesus, the eternal sting of death has been removed. Paul quoted Hosea when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1555, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You ever just want to wave your finger in the face of death? Where's your power? It's gone, isn't it? For the Christian, it is gone. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen to that. We have victory over death. This body's still going to stop working someday. For those, some of us, that might be a relief that we get a different one, a better one, a new one, one like Jesus that doesn't, his hands don't hurt or his back, his face is not so droopy. His beard not change color. 
I don't know. Through faith in Jesus, God the Father has made available victory over death. Life beyond this life. He has given us the glorious expectation of a fuller life yet to come. He has given us a real hope for a better future in the life to come. We're like in a waiting room at the dentist. We're just waiting. This life is just waiting for the one to come. I don't know if you're looking forward to what the dentist is going to do, but we look forward to what God is going to do in the life to come. C.S. Lewis wrote that it's because people have such value, uh, such, uh, how do you say it? He said it in English, so I should quote him directly. If it was in German, I could make it up. He says it's because people have such a low estimation of the life to come that they are so ineffective in this one. This is the hope that Paul was called to proclaim, the hope for a better future in the life to come. And so is Timothy, and so are we called to proclaim that hope. The appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. About preaching the gospel, think about that term for a minute, and what does it look like in your mind? Just the act of preaching. What does that look like? I hope it doesn't look like this. I've been told that some people are preachers. Some, uh, let me back up. The coffee's starting to work, so. Um, some pastors are preachers and others are more teachers. You've heard that expression before. I am unaware of what that means exactly. I don't, uh, maybe preachers jump more or pound a pulpit more and the teachers don't. I don't know what the difference really is. But sometimes our ideas of what preaching is keeps us from doing it. Preaching a gospel, preaching at all, means so much more than preaching sermons on a Sunday morning. If you're trying to model your gospel sharing by what, what I, what I do here, I want to watch. I want to see how that goes. It would be fun. Um, preaching is so much more than a sermon on a Sunday morning. In fact, preaching here on Sunday morning does not get me off the hook for my responsibility of sharing the good news, of proclaiming the gospel to my own friends and neighbors. I think, or I'd like to think that it's true, that for me, I do more preaching, not stand like this or stand like this, but it's a little more like this, leaning on the fence at the baseball game. And talking about the wonders of God as displayed in a game of baseball. And those boys and girls running around and having fun. And how God is at work in those things. That's preach the gospel. Now oh, I broke my thing. If this was chain link fence, it would be a lot easier. Our life is our pulpit. That's my point. Our sphere of influence and our web of relationships is our auditorium and audience. 
Paul was faithful in proclaiming that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the deliverer to all that could hear him. And that is why he suffered the way that he did. But his suffering did not stop him. And why not? If somebody threw you in a hole, would that stop you? I don't know. Would it stop me? I don't know. It didn't stop Paul. And why not? Here is what he said. I am not ashamed. I am not afraid. I'm not stopping. For I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. It is just as true of you that the one who has called you to this holy calling, the one who has given you this new life, is able to guard what has been entrusted to you until the day that your life ends or until the day Jesus returns. So why are we ashamed? Why are we afraid to share our faith? I think there's really only one reason. We are ashamed and we are afraid mainly because we have believed a lie. We have been fooled into thinking that we have too much at stake. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't talk about Jesus at work. It's against the rules. They told me not to. My friends can make fun of me. My friends can stop being my friends. They could unfriend me on Facebook. (laughs) They could fire me from my job. They could take away my life. They could even kill me. What did Paul write in 1 Corinthians 15? O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We've been fooled into thinking we have too much at stake. What if it costs you your job? What if it costs you your friends? Finally, verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This may be a whole sermon in and of itself. Might preach this one again next week. Our standard, our guide, our defense against the spirit of this age, our pattern is the sound words found here in the word of God. I think I will probably preach this again next week. God is the only one who can properly define sin. We can't. 
We can't see the forest through the trees. We don't know what holiness really looks like. How can we define what it really is? God is the only one who can properly define sin, and he has, and that definition has not changed. It is here in God's word. God is also the only one who can properly define what a God-honoring life looks like. And he has. And that definition hasn't changed. And it is here in God's word. And as we read God's word, as we read the sound words from Paul and the other apostles and the words of Jesus Christ himself, we can clearly see the pattern of life that God has given us to follow. A life of faith and love in Christ Jesus a life that displays and proclaims the gospel, the deposit entrusted to Timothy and to us, to all believers in Jesus. May the Holy Spirit who dwells within us guard the good deposit of the gospel entrusted to us. Doesn't that sound like a Christmas sermon? The gospel is the only thing that makes Christmas make any sense. So let's give the gift of the gospel this Christmas and we will see the power of God at work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we have your word to rely on that is trustworthy and... It gives us so much about what it means to know you and to follow you. You've given us such wonderful examples of lives that honor you in your word. Father, I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would remove all fear and shame in us when it comes to sharing the gospel. That we would not be afraid because it's worth the risk to save people from death and hell. God, people need you. And we praise you that you have chosen people like us to throw out the lifeline to rescue them. I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. And we can trust you with the results. We love you, Lord. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.